0: Join me on a deep dive of the Inflation Destruction Act. That and more today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. I would tell you about the Kingdom Patriot podcast, but you're already listening to The Grid as we speak. So instead, I ask you, are you sharing The Grid with your family, friends, and neighbors? Well, you should be. Otherwise, how do we grow our audience? Well, we do it by fine folks like you sharing The Grid on your social media, in your email, or in that ancient mode of communication known as face-to-face conversations. Remember to click that little like button on your podcast platform and make sure you are following us. Also, don't forget to go to kingdompatriot.us and put your name on our email subscriber list. Welcome to this week's News and Review. Well, finally, we have a quiet week. Well, at least if you don't count the Mar-a-Lago search warrant being made public or the federal student loan bailout announcement, other than that, pretty quiet. Well, the Mar a Lago subpoena being made public was really a non event because so much of it was redacted. There were pages and pages where every single letter was completely blacked out. So, what did we really learn? The DOJ has become a highly partisan organization, and even if what they did was warranted by the letter of the law, clearly this was breaking long held precedent with previous presidents, and it's a long line of partisan hacks leading the DOJ from Eric Holder to Loretta Lynch and now Merrick Garland. Like I said, This was something of a story, but then it really wasn't a story. But I can tell you, this is going to be in the news for quite some time. And when we actually know something, we'll be sure to let you know. As far as the federal student loan bailout, what is there to say? In fact, I think I'll probably keep my comments brief because this might be the subject of a future podcast. But don't forget, Biden was trained by Obama. And what he can't get through legislation, he will use his pen and his phone to do through executive action. I don't like it. I think it's completely illegal, according to the Constitution, but unlike many other things that he does, this actually even raises the bar one more notch because this is highly unethical as well as it creates a massive divisions in our society. One to help the little guy? one to help the worker that never went to college? Not sure how having him pay for someone else's theater degree from Harvard actually accomplishes that. I saw a meme yesterday that was so, so true, and it said this. Congrats to everyone who didn't have college debt. Now you do. In other news, a federal appeals court blocked a Biden administration plan Friday that would coerce doctors to perform gender transition medical procedures and abortions that violate their conscience or medical judgment. The plaintiffs were a religious hospital and a group of over 20,000 healthcare professionals who launched a lawsuit against the Department of Health and Human Services after the federal government had mandated that most healthcare providers perform and provide insurance coverage for such procedures. Also, I'm not sure if anyone has ever heard or listens to Albert Moeller, but he had a great podcast this Wednesday. He highlighted the culture war going on in the world, and in particular, France. However, it wasn't conservatives versus liberal, or faith versus secular. No, it's the culture war of feminism against transgenderism. Knowing just how liberal the France culture is, this was sad, also humorous, and shocking all in the same bucket. It turns out to be a good feminist you actually have to be able to define a woman first. Enough said. In a recent CNN article, there is bombshell accusations from a high-level whistleblower, and that whistleblower is Twitter's former head of security, Piter Mudge Zatko, a respected cybersecurity expert. Zatko claims Twitter is full of critical security flaws, that they have misled the public about its spam account problem, and may currently actually have foreign intelligence agents on their payroll, just to name a few issues turns out that maybe Musk wasn't wrong after all. And lastly, the mighty Anthony Fauci is stepping down. The doctor, or should I say politician, announced his departure that will be coming in December. Well, that's good news for our country, as he is so high on himself, doesn't reflect American traditional values, is a devout secular humanist, and has rarely admitted mistakes or wrongdoings from himself or the CDC throughout the COVID pandemic. All I can say is get your band aids ready, Anthony, because I think the Fauci is going to get an ouchie when the Republicans control the House and start holding hearings on exactly what you have done, including your funding of the Wuhan lab and other gain of function research throughout the world. Folks, for this week's news and review, that's a wrap. So before we actually dive into the details of this particular act, what I'm gonna kinda dubbing the economical destruction act we need to talk about a couple key components because it's very very integral to this whole process and that is uh, one budget reconciliation and number two the filibuster I really want to start with the filibuster because you hear that term all the time but what does it actually mean in reality the senate can actually pass legislation with only 51 votes you hardly ever hear that you always hear well it takes 60 votes in the senate and that's because of this tool known as the filibuster. So if a senator or a group of senators, if they want to exercise their right to unlimited debate, they do this through what is called the filibuster. And what in essence it can do is they do this unlimited debate, and it keeps a bill or the act itself from actually reaching the floor for a vote. The Senate Majority Leader can actually remove the issue at hand if that's the case, or he can file a motion to invoke cloture, which means we're going to vote to end the filibuster. However, that's key because in order to end the filibuster, you do have to have 60 votes. That's why you often hear that it takes 60 votes in order to pass legislation in the Senate. And actually, years ago, It took actually a supermajority, which was 67 votes in the Senate to actually break a filibuster. And it's interesting because that's changed over time. And now it's only 60 votes. And now you see that the filibuster is being used a ton by the minority party. It's really one of the only tools that the minority party has in the Senate to stand up against something they believe that the majority is doing that's wrong or incorrect or they don't agree with. And since we know that no Republican supported this Inflation Reduction Act, how is it that it passed? I'm I'm really glad you asked, because there is one instance in which the filibuster is not used, and that instance is known as budget reconciliation, which is exactly how this particular bill was passed. Budget reconciliation is really a tool that's not used a lot, but I would call it more of a loophole. And it's been roughly used two dozen times since 1980. It can only be applied to legislation that affects spending or revenue or deficits. And it was designed to help Congress better tame out-of-control debt. So some examples include measures that would spell out broad budget parameters to rein in spending or adjust the tax code. All of these impact either the revenue or the expenses of the government itself. So an example of something that would not qualify for budget reconciliation would be if the government was passing some sort of revision to the, um, vote, the, the Civil Rights Act or something to do with traditional marriage versus gay marriage, any of those kind of things, because unless there was some budget impact to Congress, they could not use it. And you also need to know why budget reconciliation is used, because we have Uh, What I would say is not just a divided Congress. we, We have divisiveness in Congress of epic proportions. And so when people are using budget reconciliation to pass a bill, what you need to know is what is the motivation behind that? What that means is they don't have the votes. They don't have the votes to get a piece of legislation passed through traditional means, so they've got to make sure that it impacts revenue or it impacts taxes or expenses of Congress because then they can avoid having to get buy-in from the minority party. So that's why you need to understand there was no filibuster used in the Inflation Reduction Act because budget reconciliation was used to pass it. And in fact, the actual vote was 50-50 in the Senate, but Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote, so in effect 51 to 50 is how this was passed. So what actually was in this? Why was there no support from any of the Republicans? Well, let's just start diving in. So it passed the Senate on August the 7th, 2022, and then there are eight titles in this particular budget. The first one is the Committee on Finance. It deals with deficit reduction, corporate tax reform. One of the things that was really interesting is that companies will often buy back their own stock if they feel their stock is undervalued and they do that to help increase shareholder value. Well, there's now a tax on that. This bill also imposes an alternative minimum tax of 15% on certain situations. And one of the big parts of this Committee on Finance, and this is likely how this was also uh, able to go through the budget reconciliation process, is the funding of the Internal Revenue Service in order to improve taxpayer compliance. So that ought to give you pause right there. This is supposed to be an Inflation Reduction Act, yet what we're talking about in the very beginning of the bill is funding the IRS. So what does that actually mean? Well, let's dive into the funding of the IRS. Because they're, the increased funding of the IRS is uh, over $80 billion, I think $87 billion at the last count. So let's just go through this. $3.2 billion for pre-filing assistance and education. Okay, maybe I can buy into that. $45.6 billion for enforcement. That gives me pause. $25.3 billion for operation support to the IRS. $4.8 billion technology modernization. $15 million for the task force for direct e-file, uh, I should say for direct and free e-file. $403 million for inspector general duties, including passenger motor vehicle purchases. So the inspector general for the IRS is going to buy some vehicles and I guess increase their scope. Actually, this is the one part that I might agree with because I want the IRS to be more accountable. $104 million to the office of tax policy, $153 million to the U.S. tax court and $50 million to the Treasury Department office for miscellaneous expenses in order to basically run the IRS. I believe the total was somewhere around $87 billion. This ought to give you pause. Is that, do you know, based on my research, in 2021, the budget of the IRS was just under $14 billion. This adds $87 billion. We're talking about the IRS's budget was just increased 6 Fold now you've heard in the political pundits and everybody coming that eighty seven thousand new IRS agents are going to be hired I don't know if that's the exact number because I didn't actually see that. All I know is significant dollars are in enforcement, and the IRS is going to gain the monetary support to do their work more than six times what they currently have. That should scare the heck out of every one of us also in this particular part of the bill, you have almost sixty something pages related to CMS prescription drugs. Um, You have Obamacare subsidies that are expanded or continued. It just goes kind of on and on and on. And then you have this clean energy wage requirements. Interesting that maybe this language appears in all bills, but I just found it fascinating that there are these penalties if you don't pay prevailing wages to people in your company, if you're in a construction company, if you're doing energy, oil, those kinds of things. And the penalty is $5,000 per employee that you didn't pay the, um, I'm not going to say a minimum wage, but the prevailing wage is like the market wage. And if you did it on purpose, it's 10000 per employee. Th- those are significant fines. And then it goes on through the, the bill that deals with clean energy and efficiency. There's incentives for individuals. There's credits for clean vehicles, which is really interesting because when you look at this mineral credit and this battery component credit, I believe, the total, that's about $7,500, but reports have come out that based on the requirements, only about 25% of electric vehicles currently manufactured would qualify for this credit. So it's been touted as this great thing, but in reality, most people are not going to be able to take advantage of it. That was all in Title I. Title II is the Committee on Agricultural, Nutrition, and Forestry. Title Three is Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. Title IV is science and transportation. Title five is energy and natural resources. So this is when we start to get into the environmental impacts. So for instance, there's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. They're going to have additional funding to do all kinds of climate studies and to purchase airplanes and things like that to better monitor hurricanes and have preparedness for those kinds of disasters. Title six, and this is where the EPA gets some of its funding. When we return. All that is required for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. If you want to make a difference, you cannot sit on the sidelines. That's why you need to be a Kingdom Patriot. Join us today and help us fight for faith and freedom. If you give up just two cups of Starbucks per month, you can make a difference. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I'm a Kingdom Patriot. Title six is Environment and Public Works, and this is where the EPA gets some of its funding. So this is really, really, really important. So I want to take a moment and talk about the fact that the EPA gets additional funding for enforcement and monitoring and so forth. And I had heard this through a different podcast, a little bit of research, but I wanted to do my own just to make sure. This is what this has. it's, It's a very small part of this entire bill, but it does amend the Clean Air Act which is the nation's, it's the United States' primary air quality law. And how it amends it is it defines several greenhouse gases now as air pollutants. Now, why is that important? Because the EPA does not have the authority to regulate greenhouse gases, but it does have the authority to regulate air pollutants. Let that sink in for just a minute. And I'm going to read to you the text actually from the law. Definition of greenhouse gas. In this section, the term greenhouse gas means air pollutants carbon dioxide, hydrofluorocarbons, methane, nitrous oxide, perfluorocarbons, and sulfur hexafluoride. Why that's important, this is setting the stage for future oversight, future accountability that the EPA is going to impose on people, because if anything emits carbon dioxide, in essence, they are going to have authority over it. Now, Congress did not give the EPA the authority to regulate businesses power plants and that kind of thing in this particular bill but the stage has been set and so when we think about the 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 bill EPA versus West Virginia or actually West Virginia versus EPA and West Virginia won supreme court said hey the EPA does not have this authority yes they and they still don't according to this the, this bill but the stage has been set the stage has been set because now they have the ability to regulate to monitor greenhouse gases because they've now been classified as air pollutants to me that is very buried in this bill but it is very significant throughout all of these energy and natural resource titles and the environment there's grants everywhere in this bill there's grants there's subsidies there's all kinds of funding to go into the development the monitor the study the incentives for anything related to clean energy electric vehicles and so forth. And that's really important in a minute when we start talking about in true inflation. So just keep in mind that this bill is wrought with those kinds of things, just full of incentives and tax credits. Then the last two titles of the bill, Title seven is "Homeland Security Government Affairs," and Title eight has something specific to Indian Affairs. Now why do I share this bill with you? Because I actually took the time to go through the 273 pages of the bill. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm one of those that's touting the doom and gloom and everything in the bill. What I wanted to say is, what does the bill really say? Yes, I know what the commentators are saying. The Democrats are saying that this is inflation reduction and it is the environmental protection panacea. And the conservatives are saying this is a disaster. The IRS has way too much authority. And you have all this money going to all these different things. And so I just wanted to see for myself. Well, I just shared with you what's in the bill. And here's what stands out, and I'm going to put that on the side for a second. I'm going to talk about inflation itself. What do we know at the very core drives inflation? And the core is the law of supply and demand. When your demand outpaces supply, prices go up. When supply outpaces demand, prices go down. When you spend money at a rate that is beyond the norm, prices go up. And when there is a retraction of money, Prices go down. So I tell you that. So explain to me, somebody please explain to me how this is an Inflation Reduction Act. The government is giving hundreds of billions of dollars in grants and incentives and subsidies to clean energy and to other areas. It's spending money. The government is spending money on the IRS. It is creating additional oversight with the EPA. Everything in this bill is about spending money. With the exception that the government basically is saying, we believe that there's a lot more fraud when it comes to tax returns, so we're going to fund the IRS six times what their normal amount is because we think we can capture a lot of revenue. I love how the government labels taxes, by the way. To you and I, it's taxes. To the government, it's revenue. That's what they call it. That they just think increased enforcement. Now, I work in the healthcare industry, and the government touts every year the billions of dollars they recover from healthcare fraud. Do you know what the government labels as healthcare fraud most of the time? or money that was improperly paid to hospitals and health systems, I will tell you, it's when you didn't dot your T or cross your I's on some patient documentation. You provided the service, the patient had a legitimate need, you provided the service in order to help that patient get better, they healed and you have good outcomes, and they're able to get on with their life, but the government says that you took money you were not entitled to because you didn't cross your T and dot your I's on some piece of documentation. That's what the government calls fraud. Well, the IRS is going to be the same kind of thing. What they're going to say is you didn't do some technical thing correct, even though you had a legitimate job, you worked, and you paid your taxes. what the government say, well, you didn't file this, or you didn't file that, and you didn't do it in the right day. Even though you paid your taxes, you still owe us all these penalties now. That's how the IRS works. So I get very frustrated when I hear the government talk about there's all this fraud going on. No, it's not fraud. The government is just creating additional quote-unquote revenue streams by creating draconian rules that are so difficult to follow that ultimately people unintentionally get caught up in them. Okay, I should probably take a breath. I get pretty animated about this. At the end of the day, this bill is not the Inflation Reduction Act. It's hilarious that it even had this title. That was a media talking point. This bill is the Inflation Escalation Act. It's the Inflation Destruction Act. It is the Economy Destruction Act. There is nothing in this bill that remotely is going to reduce inflation. In fact, when this bill was going through the process, if you remember, I think we reported last week or the week before that 230 independent economists said, this bill should not be called this because it's going to do the exact opposite. And I don't even have time today to get into this bailout now of of the loan forgiveness for all these college loans that's going to do the same thing. Folks, we just keep printing money. And we keep, we keep giving tax credits. We keep spending money that we don't have. We're making more money available for people to have larger demands to increase their demand and the supply is not there. It, all this is going to do is it's going to increase the cost of everyday goods and services is going to increase inflation. So when I think about this, when I wrestle this, what what is the faith implications of this? And I I really wrestled with that because we're talking about really what I would call a clean energy bill. That's really what this is, right? So how does that relate? And you know what? What the Lord brought to my mind is stewardship. The Lord calls us to be stewards with everything that we have. I believe we need to be good stewards with the land and the earth that we have. Absolutely. I also believe that we should be good stewards with the gifts and talents the Lord gives us, including our time, our talents, and our treasures. So I think also we should be good stewards with the money that we have. The Bible talks a ton about the stewardship of money. So when I look at this bill, I say, how in the world, even though at the core protecting the environment is a good thing, what I see here is a bunch of handouts. I see here massive violations of general stewardship principles baked into this bill. There's just no way that this is good stewardship. And when you think about politically, the political impacts of this, this is all about satisfying the super far left, radical uh, base of the Democratic Party, the ones that have screamed to take care of the environment, the AOCs the Rashida Tlaibs, Cory Bookers, all of those folks. But what this bill has done by going through budget reconciliation, I believe, if I remember correctly, this is the largest amount of any bill that's ever gone through this process. I could be wrong on that. Um If not, it's certainly up in the top tier. This just created more political divisiveness. all it done it, it's it's made all the liberals who who see uh environment their environment as their utopia, and all the conservatives who want a balanced approach and say and, and saying that hey, you can't destroy the economy to save the planet because if you do that, there won't be anybody left to enjoy it in the first place When, when I think of that, just the divisive divisiveness is unbelievable. Uh, it just continues to increase more and more and more. The political implications of this are, are horrible. And then you think of the commerce impacts, and you think about the regulations that are going to be baked into this, that, that in which businesses have to comply. It's going to cost more money. When you think about inflation increasing, the commercial impact to businesses and consumers is profound. Unless you're in a government-regulated business, how do you think businesses tend to deal with inflation? I'm going to give you like two microseconds to figure it out. Exactly. They pass on the cost to the consumer. So who ultimately is hurt in an inflationary period? Who ultimately is hurt when we see prices go up? It's always the consumer because the business's job is to stay viable. So then what happens is, is that it gets passed on and the consumer is hurt. Okay, I think that's really all I have for today. As you can tell, I'm pretty passionate about a bill that's been mislabeled by the media that's not going to do what's touted to do. In fact, it's going to do the opposite. But I could talk about this all day long and just pontificate. Very, very frustrating. But hopefully, after listening to today's podcast, you have a better understanding of the components of the bill, what's in it, and the implications of how it may impact you. Interested in a particular topic that you want us to cover? If so, email us at admin at kingdompatriot.us. That's admin at kingdompatriot.us. We'd love to hear from you today. Also, don't forget to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated, your input is valued, your voice is needed.